Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy, and we are here to guide you to go from good to amazing in the bedroom and beyond. All right, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 220, and it's titled Handling Sexuality with Your Children with Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers. Okay, so this is a topic that I, we've never actually covered before, which is kind of why we wanted to do it in this show. I mean, 220 episodes and we've never talked about how to deal with sex with your kids. I mean, <laughs> it's about time we get there. It's, it's way over time that we mm-hmm. actually get there because, you know, every parent knows that this is something that you will be forced to deal with at one point or another. Like, there's just no way around it. And I think... It's probably even more difficult to deal with today than it used to be. Like like when I was growing up, it was pretty easy for my parents to deal with it because there was no real sexuality involved in like children. Like there was no pressure from the outside. Like the movies weren't full of sexuality. The TV shows weren't full of sexuality. You know, like we had happy days and stuff, you know, like there's no sexuality in that at all. So for my parents, it was easy. They just had to completely ignore it and pretend it didn't exist. But I think today it's so in your face everywhere that there's no way that you can ignore it, which means you're forced to address it. And then the question is, how do you do that? And how do you do that in an age-appropriate way that helps your kids and doesn't scar them even worse, right? So we're going to talk about all of that stuff today. I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation. I'm really particularly excited about it, too, because being European, my upbringing was so different. For me, I've seen my parents naked, my grandparents naked. I watched my first porn with my brother. My grandpa gave me my first erotica novel. So I'm like, things are just like different. Yeah, that's a little bit different than my upbringing, which is don't talk about it. It doesn't exist. <laughs> I know, but I'm like, why is, why is the big deal? So I'm really excited to have, to, to have Dr. Tina today. So let's just give a big shout out to our sponsors and then we'll introduce uh, Dr. Tina. All right. So do you want to join the secret club of men who are great in bed? Then check out Power and Mastery. It's the most complete sexual mastery training for men. Whether you want to have harder erections, last longer, or increase your skills, there is something for you at powerandmastery.com. If you've been listening to this show for any length of time at all, you know that Power and Mastery are our online programs designed to help men be all they can be in the bedroom and then some, not just in the bedroom, but how to show up in your relationship. So go check that out, powerandmastery.com. Today we have Dr. Tina Sherman Sellers. She is a licensed sex and gender feminist psychotherapist, best-selling author, researcher, emirati professor, and media personality whose expertise spans sex therapy, spiritual intimacy, parenting, medicine, and social justice. Welcome, Tina, to the Love Lab podcast. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here with both of you. Okay, so as listeners of the show know, we do a pre-interview where we kind of like kind of map out how we want to talk about things and what the topic is. We did that one here with Dr. Tina a while ago. Uh, So it's not as fresh in my memory as usual, but there was something that we were talking about that I thought was fascinating and might be a good place to start, which is if we want to understand how to deal with sexuality in children, we need to understand the developmental processes or as you call them, tasks 
that kids go through as they're developing. And how, because if we don't understand their process for developing around their sexuality, we're, we're not going to have any idea how to interact with that and, and what to do about it. So maybe you could describe to the audience sort of that developmental sort of process and the different tasks that, that kids go through as they're developing. Well, it's, there are some pretty specific kinds of things. And one of the, one of the aspects that I think has shifted in culture is back 40 years ago or so, we actually had a lot of developmental books ready at the, at the hand. And, um, but culture started to speed up and value started to shift in the eighties. And the focus was really on consumerism, purchasing capitalism. Let's make more money and all of that. We hit under, we hit under, um, monikers like family values, but that actually wasn't what was happening in the United States. That's how we grew to have the income disparity that we have right now. So one of the things that went to the wayside is abstinence-only education became across the land, which is like, Salim is very different than what you had. Mm. I grew up in a Swedish immigrant home, so I maybe had something more similar to you. And uh, as abstinence only went across, it really took away what sex education we had had prior to that. It also, many people don't know, it took away almost all of the research money. So we were doing really incredible research prior to 1980, and that basically all went away. But kind of like what you were saying, Kevin, what ended up happening is we removed the regulations from the federal communication, the FCC board. And so now we could show anything, anytime. Okay. And cables started to grow. And so we began and misogyny actually started to grow because we had video games, video music, and then what was happening on TV and the movies. And then we had the internet that came 10 years later or so. So things really began to shift with regard to, what forms of erotic material were in front of people, but also the intersection of violence and women really escalated at that point in all of those mediums. And so that became our default sex educator for the vast majority of the public in the last 40 years. So it's hard, I think, that combination of not having developmental information and then having all this other stuff in front of you really shifts up what people naturally know. Yeah. And you know, but before we go further with that, you covered a lot of ground there. So I want to dig into a couple of, of those things more. Uh, I didn't think we were going to get into those right at the beginning of the conversation, but let's just do it anyway. I'll get into the meat. Okay. So the first part that you mentioned was the fact that we kind of switched to an abstinence only education. Okay. This is one where I agree with you. This is a terrible idea. And I know there's, I know that there are people listening that think this is a good idea. But the problem is, is you can't repress anything. Doing abstinence only is the same thing as saying you have to be X number of years old to drink or to smoke or whatever. Anytime you try to repress anything in society, it's going to push back in the other direction and it's going to have negative consequences. So I totally agree with you there. The idea that we could just say, Ignore all of your natural urges, <laughs> ignore all of the hormones that are, that are running through your body, and just don't do anything. Like, come on, we were all teenagers. young, we were all teenagers, we know what it felt like. There's no way we were going to pay attention to that, no matter what they told us. And so, by not giving us a proper education, they really put us in a difficult place, because we're going to do it anyway, 
And now we don't know how to do it safely and properly. That's right. That's exactly right. That's really the crux of it. You know, kids, yes, are going to developmentally develop curiosities, body curiosities first when they're like one, two, they find their genitals, you know, three, four, five, they start becoming interested in other. What's, what's, what's the other about? That's how doctor came along. You know, as we hit sort of mid grade school, we're going to have a little bit more social noticing on what's happening as far as relationships and dynamics go, but we usually still stick to our kind, you know, so often girls are having these conversations with each other. They might even be doing some touching boys sort of doing the same thing, going up to 13, 14 years old, depending on how the child is growing. And then they began experimenting. And, and sometimes it can be a little sooner or later, they start experimenting with a, a quote unquote romantic other. Well, if you're only giving the public what they're seeing in the media, and you're not providing the education, what kind of what you're saying, Kevin, it actually sets people up to have difficult and often abusive traumatic experiences, because they don't know anything. They haven't been given basic information on boundaries, on consent, on what do I like, you know, and how do I have voice for myself? And what's it like to treat somebody kindly and with um, care? What, how, what does it look like when I'm treated that way? What does it look like when I'm not treated that way? And actually practicing those kinds of skills um, so that at the very beginning, they even know a little bit about themselves and what they want and what they don't want. And then they're given body information. You know, things are labeled. We label things with children as they're learning language. This is your nose. This is your ears. This is your eyes. Well, in the same kind of way, they need to know about their genitals too. Mm -hmm. It is also a wonderful part of your body. And um, it's actually, I believe, meant in largest part to give us pleasure and facilitate connection. Yeah. with ourselves and with others. So when we don't provide those stepping stones at each age, and children actually lead us there by their curiosities, right? And if we don't give them that, then they are actually left with only what they have received from media, which there are messages that are not helpful both for men in toxic masculinity, not helpful for women in still being there for everyone else and don't know anything about yourself. And then we have all kinds of people that are on the um, non-binary spectrum or experiencing other kinds of things with regard to how they see their gender identity or how they experience their attraction or they don't. We're not talking about any of that. So our poor kids are really thrown out to the wolves and like, good luck, have a good time. So I want to go back to the second piece that you mentioned in the beginning, which you were just kind of talking about now, but I want to talk a little bit more about it, which is that, okay, so at the same time that we are basically going abstinence only and suppressing information, right. we're also in the media removing the restrictions on how much sexuality can actually be shown. So to me, that sounds like we're kind of adding fuel to the fire, right? Because we're telling you, we're not going to teach you how to do sexuality properly, but we're going to just throw <laughs> as much blatant sexuality in your face 24-7 as we possibly can. That sounds to me like a giant powder keg waiting to explode, right? So, yes. so I mean, I grew up in, in, in that time period, you know, I mean, I was born yeah. in the early 70s, right? So I grew up through the 80s at a pivotal point in time where I was seeing all of that. 
So I know what you're talking about when you're saying things changed because they really did change and they changed they dramatically. You know, yes. I think one of the issues that we have too is we misunderstand. You were talking about the age like of like one and two will touch our genitals or we want to play. And as adults, we put like a sex twist to it. But it's yes. just curiosity. It's, it's, exactly. it's healthy curiosity, sexuality. It has nothing to do with sex as we think of it. And right. I think that's the problem is we attached our shame, yes. our guilt, all our baggage yes. around sexuality. Mm -hmm. And if we don't mm -hmm. let the child explore. So how would, you, how would you tell a parent, like how do you lead a child, let's say they start to put their hands in their pants, you know, because they all do that and they're in public. Like, how do you teach them? What do you do? You know? Yeah. 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 Well, you really hit on some important points there, Celine, because what shapes the way we respond as parents is our own history. And the vast majority of people who are, you know, I don't know, 40, 45 and younger grew up in a culture where because we did these particular things, withdrew some things and then gave them everything else, then and not everything else as in information, gave them fantasy, basically. It gave them non-reality to say this is what you're going to learn from. Um, then I think what ends up happening then is people have experiences that they feel ashamed about, they feel shame for. But they, they aren't the experiences that are just the ones they have in adolescence. It actually traces all the way back from the first time they were a year old, their diaper was off and they found their genitals and then they started to learn, I can control my hand and they're doing it as often as they can. These are pre-verbal memories. But if you are in a home where somebody slapped your hand away or said, yeah, girls, don't, and got kind of loud with you, you made a subconscious beginning of a belief that something must be fundamentally wrong with me because I don't know why I'm getting in trouble. I just, I don't know. And because it's pre-verbal and because we don't start locking down memory, maybe until about five or so, do they stay consistent into our adulthood? We have had hundreds and hundreds of these experiences before we get caught playing doctor or our pants down or whatever, you know, lots of people will talk about those early experiences, but often not much earlier than that, right? Mm -hmm. But we know it started earlier than that. And so this is, um, this is a real challenge because then this is what's in our DNA as parents. And if we don't put in our hand something that both helps us learn what the developmental tasks are of that age, birth to two, two to four, four to six, all the way up to 18, and asks us questions about how might we feel when our child does this, that, or the other thing. And if we can feel inside a part of us that gets tense, wants to kind of close down or wants to react or just feels that that is your shame speaking. And so there's some questions to explore about where do you think that came from? Who do you think might have invited you to feel that way? What was it you might have needed at that age in or, now that you see the tasks in front of you in order to feel like, I'm good. I'm just exploring. I'm just figuring out life. I'm just learning. You know, it's an elbow. It's a clitoris. It's all part of my body. It's not given weight. 
like you're saying, Celine, we are not adult sexualizing their curiosity, sensuality, you know, learning about their world and learning about other and learning about relationships, all of that. We're just going, yes, of course, you're fulfilling your job description at five, at eight, at 10, at 15, of course. And here's the information I would like for you to have so that you can make decisions that are going to fit what your values are becoming now, you know, now that's a little, maybe you'd say that at eight, nine, 10, 11, but you're, you've been having these little mini conversations. I call them 100 or 1000 one minute conversations. You've been having those since they are two. There is no such thing as the talk, which likely you relate to Celine. And as in, you probably didn't get a talk. You probably got it just unfolded over time. I don't know. Um, if, if you, Kevin, got a talk, but that's really typical in America. It's either silent all the way, <laughs> or we got a really long talk that was way too late and way too uncomfortable, right? And um, and that's the story that, you know, the vast majority of people tell. So when people are having these erotic images, I think, in front of them, over and over and over, we have to understand that the erotic images are also teaching about relationship dynamics and gender dynamics too. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And that then is informing, I'm sorry, that that is informing then what people think is true. And this is a problem. There, there are so many things. This is why I, I, I sort of interrupted because there are, I have so many questions and so many different avenues that we could go down here. We could actually do whole shows on just some of these little, little bits that you're talking about. So first, I just want to say that from what I remember, and my parents may recall this differently because I was <laughs> a little young, but this is what I remember about the talk. We didn't talk about sexuality in our household at all in any way, shape or form. I remember when I was in high school, I was probably a freshman because I remember being pretty young. Um, they did have a day in school <laughs> where they covered sexuality and all the parents were aware of it, right? And so when I came home, the only thing I got was, how did it go? I talked to my mom about it for maybe 15 minutes about what they told us and what they taught us. And she just kind of nodded her head and was like, okay, great. And that's pretty much the Good extent of it. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Go master <Yeah>. it. <laughs> There's another thing that I really wanted to talk about. It goes a little bit further back in what you were saying, which is you were saying that early on in these, these pre-verbal memories where they'll touch, you know, young kids will touch their genitals and somebody will slap them and say, hey, oh, they're gross. Don't, don't do that. Here's the question I have, and I'm really curious what your take on it is. Yeah. We see, because, you know, we work with a lot of people and their sexuality, right? Both men and women. So we hear lots and lots of stories, plus we are men and women. So <laughs> we have a little personal experience as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I notice that there tends to be a difference in the amount of shame regarding their genitals when it comes to men and women. And I'm wondering if... So, for instance, with boys touching their penises when they're young, everybody goes, oh, they're just boys, that's what they do right? Uh, stop it. Knock it off. Don't do that in front of people. Or sometimes they'll say, go to your room or, or whatever. But it seems like they give boys more of a pass for touching themselves. Whereas the girls seem to get more basically shit for it. And how I see it showing up when we're talking about clients is, and this is something we talk about all the time, but it's like guys usually know, and it doesn't matter what age they are, every 
millimeter of their penis, <laughs> frontwards, backwards, everything about it. And yet, Celine, like you will constantly work with women in their 30s, That's, 40s, yeah. 50s who haven't even looked at their vaginas. That is so true. No. And, no, and, I'm, it is and I'm wondering if any of that comes from those early times. Is there, is there maybe more shame being put on women towards men? That's my question, basically. Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. I will differentiate. And then again, we're we're being very general here. Not everybody experiences it like this, but um boys will often get these two messages like you're saying. Boys will be boys, i.e. they will be sexual, they will do this, they'll do stupid things whatever. And and underneath it still is this don't you know, like, You'll yes, you're doing that. of course you are, but, but don't. Yeah, exactly. It's a joke. Maybe it's a, there's a little more levity to it, but most men still go underground with their sexual experiences. And they're, you know, they're, they're not talking amongst, they're talking about conquering or things that are sort of in the boy code, but they're not talking in a sort of shameless, this is good. I'm good sexuality is good and this you know like in a more informed kind of way um with girls we have have forever and and i mean i could trace history which is kind of why i like history because it contexts it's important for us to understand where we've been so we can make some decisions about where we want to go but um you can go way back women have been given a couple of different messages one is you don't have sexuality. It's, it's, it's like it's ignored. It's invisible. Your job is to be there for other. And whether you're watching straight porn now or whether you got trained up in the church last year or 20 years or 250 years ago, um, you were basically told you didn't have sexuality, but your body was there for him, a man. And, um, and so a lot of girls have some, a lot of women will have some stories about, oh, I, I found my clitoris. Because it's, it's also not right out in front, right? We all know that, right? It's, 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 or it's organized a little. It's a little less parts, obvious. But, all, imports, but it's organized all the more reason to different. go explore. <laughs> no, exactly. But, but again, you need to have somebody saying, this is your body. It's a wonderful thing. And I want you to understand it. Um, and, and then also helping women get the message both just by watching media and often pretty covert or overtly, definitely covertly, will get the message that if a man assaults you in some way sexually, then you must have done something. We can trace this back to the fourth century, okay? When we tried to institute celibacy in the church and when they couldn't do this or <laughs> They were the denying the body. You know, they were doing all of that in the fourth century. This is when the church became an empire religion. Then we were giving the same kind of message. If he couldn't do these, if he couldn't deny the body, there was always a woman to blame. So we have woven that deep into our epigenetics, deep into our DNA, and deep into our society. So then you hear stories of women saying, here's the assault experiences I've had or the experiences of sexuality that I've had that I did not enjoy, that I did not know what to do about. And I have a whole book full and I feel foreign with my own body or I, I don't know what to do with this or is it even okay? Or am I normal if, you know, because they didn't get 
anything, you know, and we are starting to give more, but I think in some ways you've got to be tenacious in going out and finding that sex education that is actually going to tell you how wonderful your body is and what all the parts are. Yeah. So again, fascinating conversation that could go in two completely different directions. I want to try to kind of refocus this a little bit more on the children aspect again. But I do want to comment on what you said that, that yes, if you, if you go back through history, there was tons of that. And really what it was all about was control. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and if, you, if you really want to get into it, it's not just I'm having fun get, having power over you. It's literally because um, property and money and all was passed down through men. It was important yes. to control who had children and what children they had and who yes. had children with who and all that kind of stuff. So I totally agree with all of that. And, you know, obviously we, that has not been that way for a long time, but I do agree that it is because it was there for so long. It is into the DNA and it is something that is underneath a lot of what's happening today that people aren't aware of. Mm-hmm. The other point I just wanted to make real quick was that, um, so we started talking about, you know, older women having these experiences and telling the stories and how this has formed who they are. And that, I would love to have that conversation too, but since today we're really talking about children, I think I just kind of wanted to refocus it and say that what we want to talk about here today in this show is how to prevent those experiences from happening in childhood so that you don't end up that 45-year-old woman who's suddenly recalling all these horrible experiences that she had. So, So maybe we can start with the biggest mistake that parents are making when they're handling their their children's sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You guys have both said it already. It's being absolutely silent. So not providing actual knowledge plus reacting in some way when a child is naturally doing what is developmentally in their job description on task for that age where their curiosities are going at that particular time they will um, either react from out of their own shame or they'll just, they'll clam up and get silent, right? And and still the thinking is, I'll talk about this like when they're 13, 14, 15. <laughs> and actually, no, there's all kinds of things to be talking about right now. So that's the biggest mistake. I think an interesting question is, we, I think many people have known that. Many people have said, gosh, I don't really like the way I was raised, I'd like to do it different with my kids. But then they find themselves repeating the pattern because they're so uncomfortable. Their shame is so right there, which is why I wrote the shameless parenting book, because I literally wanted to hold people's hands and say, here's what you can expect. You know, this is how it will probably play out. And not just around sexuality, because it's never you know, separated out from the rest of us, but emotionally, behaviorally, what's all going on with this kiddo? And then here's how it might express itself. And then how might this be for you? So giving them an opportunity to look at their own shame and heal that because we're only ever going to be able to help our child as much as we have helped ourselves. So for, for this book came around, came about because a few years before that, I had been working with so many people were telling me their stories about growing up in abstinence education. Some had been involved in youth groups. Some had not just had public school education experiences. And 
I thought I, I need to understand the history, the arc of how we got here in 2000. You know, that's when I started doing the research. And, and really, I found out this incredible history that went all the way back into the first couple of centuries and then goes forward. For people who want to understand how we got here and don't want to just blame their parent or their grandparent or whatever, but see that we've been a part of a larger system, that's a really good book. It's called Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy. And I've had so many people say, that was my life. That was my life. (laughs) That helps me so much understand the whole context. Now, can you help me actually know how to not repeat what happened to me because I don't want my child to feel what I have felt or have the experiences that I had. So, so the shame is a huge piece. And that's actually something that, that Selena and I work with people on a lot is how to get over sexual shame. We've done an episode on this show about it. We've, we've talked about it a lot. We've done YouTube videos on it. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. it is a huge topic. And actually one of the biggest pieces of feedback we get from this show is because we talk about literally everything and we talk yeah. about our, every part of our own sex life. We did an entire episode that's like, what does our sex life look like? Where we just told uh, everybody, yeah. here's what sex looks mm-hmm. like for us, yeah. you know? And, and a lot of people say that they're really amazed that we say the things that we say and, and it makes them, it gives them permission yes. to be able to talk about those things themselves. Yes. So I, I want to come back to the, so then this, this has to do with shame, right? So Mm-hmm. we develop shame from these early experiences. And I think one of the reasons why we feel shameful is because we are not aware that these are normal experiences. And That's so I'm wondering, right. you kind of said it in passing in, in a larger context about, you know, yes. not knowing what's age appropriate. Well, right. just like 50,000 foot view. Could you maybe give the listeners an idea of what types of sexual experiences or things that come up for children are appropriate at a particular age, you know, like a one to five is kind of normal for this or something like that. Just so, cause yes. I think, I think people will go, Oh, you mean when I was five and I played with the girl next door, that actually wasn't wrong. Right. Like, yes, right. That would be exactly. Helpful. Yeah. I'm happy to do that. And if people want more detail, they can get the book and it's really will hold your hand, but birth to two is like I said, Children learn about 10 months old that this hand that's been smacking them in the face, that they actually get control over it. And so between 10 months and a year, often their hand is going to land on their genitals, either in the bath or getting their diaper changed. And that is going to register pleasure. Like, oh, I like that. You know, I like the, you know, the soft ear of my bunny and I like that, (laughs) you know. And so they're going to go there again because it, is pleasurable and we are wired as humans for connection and pleasure. We come out of the womb that way. And if you walk down the halls of an Alzheimer's unit, you're going to see people seeking connection and pleasure, even though they don't have memory. So this is hardwired into us. So that's kind of birth to two-ish. Two to four, kids are starting to do more interacting with others. They're still primarily interested in their own bodies, but they're starting to figure out a little bit about relationships in the families and how that's done. And so you can begin talking about consent and having voice and what you like and what you don't like. They're getting language and that kind of thing. But they're also, by this point, really got it figured out. Like by three, they've often got their diapers off that I know exactly where this place is and I love it. And 
if I have um, watching TV or I'm, you know, whatever, I can, I can do that. I can touch myself and it feels nice. It feels pleasurable. Of course it does. You're made that way, but you need someone to say, um, yep, that's what's going on. This is great. And, and you start around three saying, and mommy and daddy, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, whatever. And, and you are going, we do this kind of thing in our bedroom. Or in the bathroom. It's just part of protecting our private parts or enjoying our private parts, right? Enjoying our penis, our vulva, whatever, you know, using actual terminology. And so we begin that process of helping them understand that there's a, a time and a place. But we don't get angry with them when they don't learn it the first time. We figure I'm going to have to say this 250 times because between three and five, there's a lot of development going on, a lot of neurons, a lot of things being put together, the puzzles being put together. And so you'd be like, oh, baby, we're at the grocery store. Can you take your hands out of your pants until we get home? That'd be great. Thanks. You know, just it's a no big deal thing, but we weave it in, you know, in a sh shameless way with our kids. When they hit five, six, they are, by this point, they have begun to figure out they're noticing gender things that are in culture, you know, like in their toys or if they've got heterosexual parents or if they're just observing that or they're starting to notice things. And this is also a time they're noticing race. They're noticing who's in, who's out. They're just beginning the inklings of that. And so they will begin being curious with a friend. And so I often talk about they need a lot of supervision and they ought to be playing with people that are within 18 months of their age, two years on the way outside, because, just because developmentally you, you're changing so fast. So often there isn't that power differential if they're within 18 months, right? And that's really what we want to try to reduce is anything that feels coercive, right? I always say about kids, you can't blame them for wanting what they want, right? Because we still do that as adults. We're just a little more savvy at it. Sometimes we're more savvy at it. Sometimes we're not savvy at it at all. But do you see what I'm saying? This is, this is part of our nature. So, But we have to teach our kids how to manage that, how to manage desires. Desires are great. They're wonderful. And sometimes we have to think about someone else, too. And we have to you know, think about where we are, too. And so we're slowly teaching these kinds of things. And that's up through kindergarten, first grade, second and third grade. Often you'll start. And again, this I'm being super general here because people will fall on other sides and that's completely normal, too. But they'll talk about maybe a crush or feeling something mm -hmm. about somebody. Right. And th since they have been picking up that we are in a heterosexual society, they'll often be more verbal if they like somebody of the opposite gender of that, how they identify themselves. If it's the same gender or they're not feeling uh, the same in their bodies, they're going to go quiet. So, um, so noticing other can happen somewhere between five and seven. I want to say they'll go back to like three and four. It is not uncommon for a child in their gender identity, if it doesn't match the parts they were given at birth, and if they are a strong child, like they've got voice, they have opinions, yeah, yeah, yeah they're going to begin expressing 
like changing their name. I'm, I'm Scotty, you know, I'm not Sheila, you know, like I want this clothes. I want those. They're just going to be that age. And if their parents are reactive to it, it is really going to be difficult for them. Now, not every trans child feels it that strongly then, but it's not unusual to feel that strongly. And if a parent is not allowing any space for that child to be seen, known, loved, or accepted in that, they can be suicidal by 10. 40% of people whose parents can't support them are suicidal, often attempting some completing. So we really want to understand when does gender interest and understanding of my body come into play? And when does interest in other come into play? By the time kids are eight, nine, and 10, they are really needing a lot of what we would think of more as sex education. You know, understanding, definitely we've already been working on what a good friend is and how you have boundaries and how you stand up for yourself and how you get help if you need to and all of that kind of stuff. Now we are starting to talk about more overt things about this is how sexuality functions in our society. Um, this is how you came about um, no matter what it was, no matter what their, what I call their love story is, you know, whether it's adoption or IVF or intercourse or, or surrogacy or whatever, they get their love story. But they're also then taught about like what intercourse is and how it is that babies actually form and what uh, puberty is going to maybe look like. And so you're getting lots and lots of books. And at the end of every single one of these little itty bitty chapters that I wrote, I give a whole mess of resources for parents and for their kids at that age so that you don't even have to do any thinking. You just have to follow it really. Um, and so parents are often, so let me, let me just say this. The average child will, in America, will be shown or find pornography by about nine years old. Yeah, sometimes it's right. eight, sometimes it's 10, 11, 12. So it just depends, but nine. And so when, when I'm talking about you're really giving lots of information here, you're also talking about media. You're also talking about, oh, what do you think about the way that person just treated that person? Huh, is that what we think in our family? What do you think? You know, or... Um, you know, things around sexuality, things around um, just all kinds of things around media literacy. And you may at times, you may at somewhere see something that feels kind of exciting and it feels a little big. It feels a little overwhelming. It's something that adults do. And you might see naked bodies or that kind of thing. If you see anything like that that confuses you in any way, I really want to be able to tell you what it was. So if you can just come let me know then I'll tell you. And so that you can have it in language that you can understand. So parents are often shocked that they have to be having these conversations and be pretty complete with sex education by 12. They're like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, if you don't trust me, your 12 year old will have been exposed to all of it yeah, but by I, sixth grade. I think I think the reason why parents get so bent out of shape by that is because I think they don't truly understand what it means. So in other words, there's sex education and there's sex education, right? So with a 12-year-old, it's one thing to tell them, this is what these people are doing, or this is what this act actually is. It's another thing to go really deep into the details, right? Right, 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 and, and right. And that's right. the difference. And I think, I think a lot of right. times when you tell parents, look, by 12, you should have already given them everything they need. 
everything they need as is appropriate for a 12-year-old. For that age. Yes, right? That's that, right. And that, that's exactly right. And that's where I think we really have to explain to parents. Like, no, you're not giving them all the adult details. You're not explaining a full-on, no. you know, no. sex party, <laughs> craziness, BDS. Like, you're not going into any of that stuff. You're giving them what is appropriate. And I really like your approach, too, of kind of holding back and waiting for them to come to you with the piece that they've got at that moment. And then right. just clearly explaining to them, okay, here's what that really is. So you have the right information yeah. rather than right. having to go out there and try to force all this extra stuff. Because <laughs> I mean, my experience, I mean, I don't have kids, although I did raise a child for a number of years with a previous partner. But one thing I noticed that having been around you know, mm-hmm. other parents' kids is they all get different pieces at different times. Yes. It's not like, oh, when they hit this age, they're all going to be interested in oral sex. And when they hit this, they're <laughs> going to be interested in that. It's like, no, they just, they pick it a piece up here, a piece up there. And then one kid might be really into one thing. The other kid's completely oblivious, doesn't even know it exists, right? So right. just helping right. them with the parts that are coming into their awareness at the time, yes. I think is a, is a fantastic yeah. strategy. And I, and I love that you're bringing that up because I think it really means that you are paying attention mm-hmm. and listening to your child. You also know what might happen in the next two to four years. You're also kind of on board. You're listening. You're, you're listening in context to your child. And I think what's important about what you said, Kevin, you're giving them what they need and and it's appropriate for them. And so when I say a thousand one minute conversations, nothing should take you longer than 60 seconds. In fact, you should be able to do most in 30. It's a very brief kind of thing. And I often say to parents, kids come home, what's a blowjob? Kim comes home, what's this? What's that? Well, you tell me what you think it is. You know, you ask a question first. So, and then if they give you something, you can just kind of correct that little piece of it. You get you stay kind of at the 50,000 foot level. You know, adults do different things or whatever you see on TV. That's fantasy. There's cameras and all that kind of, it's not actually what happens perhaps in that way. Um, you know, you're giving kind of big things, but like you say, Kevin, you're not going in because it, that would blow their mind. Mm-hmm. Right. They have a hard time at 12 realizing that if they have heterosexual parents, if their parents have sex. Or if their parents are out dating or if their parents, well, even if they're straight, you know, I mean, excuse me, if they're gay or or trans or whatever, they start to put together, you do that? You do that with mom? You do that with dad? You do that with whatever? You know, ah! and you're like, yeah, I know it doesn't make any sense at all. And you may never be interested in this, but I just want you to know about it because it is so much a part of culture and because what you see in the media isn't real. Yeah, I've always thought it was kind of funny that like, because kids will be exposed to all the sexuality stuff and it's all adults, you know, doing sexuality stuff that they're exposed to. And yet they always think that their parents have nothing to do with any of that. They must somehow, just their parents are completely isolated from all. It's it's kind of a funny little kid thing. You know, two things that I would think are fantastic. Number one is when you said you have to be comfortable with saying the names. You can say penis without getting like or red in the face, or vagina, or vulva, like knowing the names, I think is super important. And I think also understanding that by the time you, your kid is 12 or 14, they're teenagers. Yes. And they're going to rebel. And they're not going to want to hear you. So you have mm-hmm. to have done the work before. Because mm-hmm. by then, they'll be like, I don't want to have anything about, like, to deal with this. Yeah. That's- yeah. 
that's a good point that you bring up, which is that if you've been talking to them gradually over all, all the years, then they'll be okay when you want to tell them something when they're 13. If you wait till they're 13 or 14, they're going to be like, ew, mom, gross, go away. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. And you haven't made any of these little really important deposits all along the way. You know, um, I still say to parents who will say to me, oh my gosh, my child is 13, 14, 15, 16, even 30. And I, I didn't do the right thing, you know? And of course it's different, but, but I'll say, you can say, if they're in that teenage yuck time, which lots of the kids get in, you can say, there's something I need to tell you. I'm going to try to do it in less than 60 seconds. And I'm just going to give you the high points, but I really want you to hear this, you know, and you just do one little thing, you know? And then I say, watch shows with them. Watch what they're seeing. Ask questions about, are you even seeing this in school? Have you heard about this? You know, so that they, you're paying really close attention to what is in their world, what is in their social media world. You're, you're really paying attention so that you can enter in actual factual information in with the baloney that <laughs> they're hearing because they're, they're getting inundated, inundated. Absolutely. Okay, this has been such a fascinating conversation. I totally forgot to read the ad in the middle. I'm going to do okay. it real quick here at the end. And then we've got two more questions for you before we pretty much run out of time. Okay. <laughs> so are you a committed couple who is stuck in a rut and just going through the daily motions instead of connecting the way you used to? Are you tired of stale mechanical sex that lacks spontaneity and fun and you don't want to live a life of average? Then we invite you to join our highly six power couple platinum program. Give us 90 days and we'll help you bring the passion back between the sheets and be synced up sexually so that you can thrive with more purpose and passion in life. If you are interested in that, go to celineremy.com forward slash passion. Do not be uh, intimidated by that title of highly sexed power couple <laughs> platinum program. Yes, we pay to marketer a lot for that title, but don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> don't worry. Really, this is just how to get the two of you back to the sex life that you either had before or always wanted to have. It's so. also how to let go of shame so that you can be better parents. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. CelineRemy.com forward slash passion. Okay. Now that that is over... <laughs> So we know that you've written the guide. Uh, it's shameless parenting, right? Yeah, shameless parenting. Okay. Everything so, you need to raise shame-free, confident kids and heal your shame too. Perfect. So where can people buy it? Where can they connect with you? Yeah. So that book can be purchased on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And if it's not there, ask them to get it for you. Um, it can also go to my website, which is just my name, and there'll be places to click to, that will help you find it. Um, yeah, and they can also, people can find me at uh, Instagram at Dr. Dr. Tina, Dr. Tina at, or excuse me, Dr. Tina Shameless. That's where I am on Instagram. If any of your listeners are practitioners of any kind, whether that's therapists or doctors or even uh, educators, clergy, coaches, um, psychologists, whatever, we I actually run an institute called the Northwest Institute on Intimacy where we train those professionals because they didn't get this either. We train those professionals on sexual health, understanding your sexual biases and treating sexual dysfunction. And we have 37 little mini seminar courses that you could take that are on our website that will help anybody. And so that's at N as in Nancy, N-W-I-O-I.com or at Instagram at N-W Institute on Intimacy. And you'll learn about 
the things that we're trying to provide for professionals to help them to then guide parents along the way. Um, so those are probably the, the best the places to, yeah. To connect. Awesome. So if you could give parents one piece of advice on how to deal with their children's sexuality, what would it be? One. One. You got 60 seconds with yeah. a parent. You yeah. give them one I great would, piece I of would, advice. Yeah. I would say chances are what you're seeing from them if they're under 10-ish or so, probably eight-ish, is that whatever they're curious is, it's a natural curiosity. And they're also curious about other things in life that fall right in that same thing. So take a deep breath, put on a smiley face <laughs> and say, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Or would you like information on that? Or whatever. So make your face a neutral or happy face, even if your insides are screaming. <laughs> that is great advice. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got one last question that we always ask our guests, and it is, what is your best sexual talent? Staying very, very present to what's happening in the moment with me and with my partner and sinking into it because pleasure is wonderful and it's healing. And so I, I love all forms of connection and pleasure, all forms of sex. My vocabulary is really wide um, <laughs> because I think pleasure is healing and it's connecting. So if you've got a safe, loving person in your life, are you somewhere, then often you can, you can go to really wonderful places. Maybe we should have you back on to discuss your large vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, yeah. Dr. Tina, for being thank on the you. show. There was great advice there. I really hope that parents who are struggling with this got something not only from this episode, mm -hmm. but also can then follow up on the resources that you're providing for parents. Get the book and, and, and do the work. I mean, do it. Otherwise, you're going to screw your children. Yeah. And I, I always say to people, you can change the legacy in one generation. So mm -hmm. it's so worth the work. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't do the sound <laughs> effects today, but I would have I would have dropped a truth the bomb truth on bomb that. Truth bomb right one. there, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you again, Dr. Tina, for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a joy. <laughs> all right, everybody, that's all the time we have for this episode, and we will see you next week. We hope you like this episode of the Love Lab podcast. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. And for more free, exclusive content, join us in the Passion Vault at CelineRemy.com forward slash vault. That's C-E-L-I-N-E-R-E-M-Y dot com forward slash vault. Thanks for listening. And remember, you're amazing. <laughs>